I want to be the first girl in the NFL. But then I found rugby and it was like, okay, this is where I was supposed to be. There's the strike queen. It's Naya Tapa. Naya Tapa puts her foot to the floor. Heading to the metal. And it's later, ladies. Try time and the match, USA. Welcome to Flame Bears, the woman athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. I'm your host, Jamie. In this episode, Naya Tapper of the USA women's rugby team discusses finding rugby, self-love, and speaking out about racial justice. We'll start by learning how Naya got into rugby, hear how it's shaped her personal understanding of beauty, and end with why she believes athletes like herself have an opportunity and responsibility to advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement. My name's Naya Tapper with the USA women's rugby team. I'm the second highest try score for the team and I'm working to become the first. I was the first for maybe a month or two and then one of my teammates caught up to me. So me and her have been going back and forth. I wanted to understand how Naya got into rugby. As it turns out, playing contact sports was something she actually grew up doing. So my brother, my older brother was very big into football and he ended up going to college and the NFL for a little bit for that. But I think growing up for me, my brother was five years older than us, so he wasn't around too much. So I kind of was like the very aggressive one. Um, I was the one who, you know, was playing in mud and always wanted to play football or whatever sport was in front of me. And also I noticed that there wasn't any females in that sport when I was coming up as a young woman. So it was like, I want to be the first girl in the NFL. But then I found rugby and it was like, okay, this is where I was supposed to be. Naya also had a sister and she was the perfect tackling dummy for Naya. My name is Noelle Tapper and I'm Naya's younger sister. We're a year apart. And it was back in high school, my ninth grade year, I was going into high school. It was a hot, sunny day, and we were in Atlanta, Georgia at my Aunt Gloria's house. So we would always go there during the summer, and we'd make friends and play with all the boys in the um, neighborhood and typically play football and things of that sort. But this time, I was just like out in the front yard, beautiful day, just looking in the sky, minding my business, and then out of nowhere, I feel my feet levitate off the ground, and... (laughs) Eventually, my back is on the ground, and I'm, like, so shocked because Naya just out of nowhere literally just tapped me. And I said a few choice words that I typically don't say, and that's how, like, I knew I was very mad. That memory is, like, one of my favorite memories in regards to, like, Naya, because I always say, like, she practiced rugby on me. So I'm the one that really initiated the whole rugby process for her. I can't remember why I did it, and I think that's how a lot of my pranks went with her. She was not happy about it at all. (laughs) I don't know if she told you exactly what she said, but she was very upset with me. It was funny to me. Naya and Noel grew up playing full contact football with the guys. Every month they visited relatives in Atlanta, and when they arrived, they would play football with the kids in the neighborhood. And I would just like terrorize them with my fast speed and my strong 
stature as a female and my aunt would make jokes that she would just look out the window and I would just be running over or around a lot of the boys during that time and my sister would be playing with us too. She would always be beside me and she would stiff arm people like the same way she does now. She was stiff arming boys then and they would get so upset because it's like, oh, it's a girl that's like doing better than me in football. Being a strong athlete at a young age is usually something to be very proud of, but it also comes with its own set of challenges for young girls. Naya couldn't help notice that she looked and sometimes sounded different than a lot of the girls around her growing up. But over time, she learned to turn her insecurity into strength. I guess being a lot more muscular than the females that I was around and even some of the little boys. So growing up, it was I was always getting called a man because of my muscles and because I had like a deeper voice than other girls around me. And I remember like trying to make my voice sound softer or sweeter or not as deep or more high pitched. And then maybe like wearing long sleeves and stuff just so I looked more like a woman. But over time, like I kind of accepted it because I had been muscular like since I was two years old. Like you have no control over and you have to just accept it and love it. And once you do that, everybody else does it too. So it's like any insecurity that I've ever had, I just try to find the beauty in it. And you can turn any insecurity into something beautiful. And people will see that as long as you have that mindset. So it's kind of like, how can I change the idea of what it means to be a woman? And I think a lot of female athletes are doing that right now, where they're showing you that big, fast, powerful, strong-minded, all of that stuff is beautiful. And all of that stuff is woman as well. You can be strong and you can be feminine. And as a matter of fact, I would say that feminine, uh, that strong should define what feminine is or strength. And uh, unfortunately, that doesn't. This is me. This is my hair. My beauty. My beauty. My beauty. My say. I asked Naya how she went from pickup football to rugby. It turns out that track had actually been her go-to sport starting in middle school. But during her senior year of high school, she found herself ready for a change. Eventually, the sport for me kind of got a little boring, a little repetitive, and getting ready to go to college, I kind of didn't want to be tied down to another intense, um, strict schedule. I kind of wanted to enjoy college, focus on my academics, and like have a good time. So going into college, I didn't run track. I was just kind of working out on my own. I went to UNC Chapel Hill, and there is when I kind of picked up rugby. So they had a club team there, and I went and tried out for it, and I had a blast. So I I decided to do it because it would be fun. It would be um, easy, not too strict. I could still live my life during the week and for the most part on the weekends besides Saturday. It turns out that rugby is pretty different than track. And the rules are a bit more complex, too, than just running as fast as possible. Once Naya learned the rules, she was brought up to the national team when she was 21. I got brought out to train full time. So I moved from North Carolina to California by myself, shipped my car out here, you know, thought that this would be something long term. 
After about four months, the coach decided that he wanted to cut me just because he felt that he felt that I needed more development as a player in order to be at that level versus just being fast. Like that can only get you so far at the professional level. So I was cut from the team. This was a real turning point for Naya. I wasn't like super in love with rugby yet. Um, It was just something that was convenient. It provided an opportunity to go to the Olympics, provided an opportunity to live in beautiful California, kind of just a stepping stone to get to my bigger goals. So knowing that and having gotten cut from the team, my mindset was kind of like, okay, well, I'll go back to North Carolina, like apply for physical therapy schools like all my friends were doing go back to plan A, basically, because rugby was plan B for me. So when I told my parents that, they were just like, no. Like, just straight out, no. I had never really dealt with adversity, especially not in sports. Sports, thank God, was like a, a breeze for me. And it was something that I was always very talented at and praised for. So to have the opposite re- reaction, I didn't um, know how to take that. And the first thing I wanted to do was run. But my parents told me, like, just try. Like, this is your first mountain that you have to climb. Try it out and see where it takes you. I think that was a very important learning lesson for me, a big monumental moment in my life in terms of my mentality with things when they don't go my way. Naya kept training and remade the team. Today, she's one of Team USA's leading try scorers. Tepper's on the end of the chain here. Tepper into the contact. Tepper's gone. Weak defense from Spain. An excellent class from Naya Tepper. Try number one. The postponement of the Tokyo Games and, frankly, the possibility that they may not even happen has been a huge stressor for most athletes. I asked Naya how she was coping. I've always been good with the understanding that everything happens for a reason. So if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. And if it doesn't, that's how it was supposed to go. So I try not to stress about things that are out of my control. I talk with my sports psychologist a lot about Naya, just focus on what you can control so that you have no regrets, regardless of how the situation turns out. So having that mindset has allowed me to kind of continue training with the possibility that At the end of the season, you know, you just go and enjoy your summer and you don't have the Olympics. Like, just having that understanding has allowed me to keep pushing and, you know, it'll work itself out. I will say, putting good energy into the world, that the Olympics is going to happen. And right now, this is a live look at community members gathering for a Black Lives Matter protest in downtown San Luis Obispo. We've been reporting Kansas City is also a place to protest tonight to demand justice for George Floyd, who died at the hands of four Minneapolis police officers. Last September, a group of athletes from women's rugby teams around the world released a video in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Naya took part. But this is not just an American issue. It's a Canadian issue. It's a French issue. 
It's a Brazilian issue. It's a New Zealander issue. We learned that if it's not in your backyard, you don't care about it or you don't know about it. And for me, the most important thing was to make everybody who was in my circle know what was going on, whether they knew about it or not, or wanted to see it or not. I kind of was like, I'm just going to post things that mean something to me around the Black Lives Matter realm so that other people can see it, whether you support the movement or not, knowing that if I go to Nye's page, I'm going to see that information. Me showing people that and then seeing the reactions helps me decipher who your real friends are and, and who your fake friends are. Because some people will say nothing about a situation and that says more than saying something. So I think that's something that we've been really focusing on with our team and our team culture is this is something that some of your teammates are going through. Ladies that you are with 80% of the day. So you have to know what their um, mental state could be going through. You have to know emotionally how they may be feeling some days because some days you may be thinking they're rude or they're standoffish or they don't want to talk, but maybe it's something that you will never understand, but that you need to be aware of. And I think it's also important to show people that stuff so that conversations can be started. And that's something also that we've been trying to bring into the team aspect is being able to have conversations about these things. Because in the past, we had teammates who would bring things up about what Black people go through. And a lot of the non-Black teammates kind of just stayed silent about it or like didn't really get involved. And now it's like, you have to ask those questions. You have to be uncomfortable in situations to know better and to have the information. Naya, that's a really tough situation for you to be in. What did it feel like for you to be a member of USA Rugby? I was kind of worried, like, okay, this is something that we're about to have a conversation with. If it turns out that some of my teammates don't support it, or it turns out that my organization doesn't support it, or my coaching staff doesn't support it, what am I supposed to do from there? You know, like, am I supposed to um, let go of my dreams because I would technically be working under people who don't even support what I do, but just use me for, you know, my athletic ability. Is it worth the money? Is it worth the gold medal? Or am I going to have to get rid of or shut out a teammate that I did everything with? So just the anxiety of what is going to be the next steps after we have these conversations, is it going to go good? Is it going to go bad? I was lucky to have very supportive teammates an amazing coaching staff and an organization that did speak out on the situation. So I didn't have to choose. Black Lives Matter is the moral predicate to the ethical conclusion that all lives matter. Unless the first is true, the second can't be true. This is Professor Cornell Brooks, a civil rights attorney and ordained minister. He's the former president and CEO of the NAACP and is the director of the William Monroe Trotter Collaborative for social justice at the Harvard Kennedy School. I asked him about those who say all lives matter. All of them have no problems quoting the words of the Declaration of Independence, right? That all men are created equal. Well, where did we get the idea that all men are created equal, meaning all human beings are created equal? Well, we get this idea from the Hebrew scriptures, right? The Hebrew scriptures 
lift up the notion that that people are created in the image of God and as such have innate worth and value, the imago take. This is also in, embedded in the Magna Carta. So the point being here is the same notion in the Declaration of Independence, the same notion that animates our constitution has racial specificity when it comes to black folks. We have athletes who understand and appreciate that racial specificity in this moment in which black lives are literally being threatened, brutalized, and harmed on a near daily, excuse me, daily basis. But the vice president president can't say that. Just for clarification, this interview took place in the fall of 2020. So Professor Brooks is referring to the former vice president, Mike Pence. Essentially, those who say all lives matter, but refuse to say or acknowledge black lives matter, are ignoring one of the founding principles of the Declaration of Independence. This is ironic given how frequently the document is cited by those who don't support BLM. I was curious about the connection between athletes and Black Lives Matter. Professor Brooks believes that athletes are uniquely poised right now to make a big difference. This is a moment right now where the athletes can lead, not just because they have massive social media platforms. The, the, the players in the NBA had Twitter followers and Instagram followers in the multiple millions, but they can lead in a number of other ways. They can lead in terms of the eloquence of the example, meaning our sports are more integrated than our boardrooms. Our sports are more integrated than our schools. Our sports are more integrated and more fair than our legislatures and our federal legislature. So literally athletes can lead from the vantage point that they provide a model of, if you will, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational, multi-gender democracy on our courts and fields, right? One. Two, they can lead in terms of their willingness to use their voices to call for social justice and social change. And that we see. We literally see uh, athletes who are calling for people to vote and people vote. We're calling for the valuation of black lives. That is to say that black lives matter and people pay attention. Athletes also are not only amplifying the voices of social justice, but they also legitimate the voices of social justice. Is when you see someone whose athleticism you admire lending their voice to the to the causes and concerns that trouble you, they legitimate your protests. They even go so far as to say they legitimate for those folks who are religious, religious their prayers. The point being here is we're in a moment right now where when you see a thousand people on the street saying that this is wrong, that confirms your sense of what is right. In a similar fashion, when you see someone whom you've seen run up and down a field or a court uh, in the streets, on your phone, on television, calling for social justice, it literally confirms, echoes, provides a chorus of affirmation for the voice of your own conscience. Critically important. I asked Naya about leading by example, especially given her role as one of the top try scorers for Team USA. I will say it's a struggle every day, and every day I don't lead by example, but I just try to remember I've worked myself into a role where that is very important. Um, I posted on Martin Luther King 
day why he was important to me. And it's because he led by example. He gave people courage and confidence to use your voice, regardless of the opinions, regardless of the outcome. So for me, looking up to him, leading by example on a daily basis is very important because you can't share your advice. You can't give recommendations if you're not doing what you're telling other people to do. I think when people say actions speak louder than words, that's exemplifying what leading by example means. I've heard a lot of people argue that athletes and celebs should stay in their lane and to essentially play their sport and not talk about social stuff or politics. And it's always unwise to seek political advice from someone who gets paid $100 million a year to bounce a ball. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. What do you think athletes should do in their role? Should they shut up and just play ball? No, not shut up at all. I asked Naya for her take. And in her opinion, there's a fine line between influencing but not telling people what to do. We're human at the end of the day. So, like, we're dealing with the same things that everybody else is dealing with. Being a celebrity or being an athlete, that's a title. At the end of the day, we're all on the same planet. (laughs) So, um, if anybody had a voice, I think everybody should have a voice, but especially influential people like athletes and celebrities that people are looking up to and tuning into on a daily basis. If you want to send a message, you have a celebrity, an athlete, or an influencer, put that message out. That's what everybody's looking at today. I feel like I can't go and tell anybody, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that. Because if somebody came to me with that mentality, I would just be like, I'm going to do what I think is best. Everybody supports in different ways. So it's not up to me to judge how you decide to support or not support. Essentially, the pipe down and player sport argument doesn't hold water for Naya because guess what? She's a person with her own opinions. And as one of the top rugby players in the world, people listen to her. That said, what they do with what she says is completely their call. Professor Brooks had some thoughts on this as well. So this whole notion of those who say, well, athletes should essentially shut up and dribble. Not only is it morally tone deaf, profound misunderstanding and misreading of the history, if you will, of, of athletes in this country. So if you go back to the 1960s, the, the uh, track athletes, African-American athletes who raised their fists in the Mexico City Olympics. During the medal ceremony, Smith and Carlos raised a single gloved fist as a symbol of protest at the treatment of blacks in the USA. They were ordered out of the Olympic Village and were suspended by the US Olympic Committee. If we think about the voice of Arthur Ashe in the middle of the uh, AIDS epidemic. If you happen to be black, In these times, maybe not 50, 30 years ago, but in these times, 1968, it's really a mandate that you do something. You must. Uh, You think about uh, Steph Curry, you think about LeBron, you you literally think about, I I would say collectively, the NBA. I mean, everybody has a voice, everybody has an opportunity to to stand for something and to speak how they feel. And I think as NBA players, we've done a great job of embracing that responsibility. Uh, Colin Kaepernick literally 
being the reprise, the redux, the redo of Muhammad Ali, meaning Muhammad Ali spoke out against the Vietnam War and was punished for it. Colin Kaepernick speaks out against police brutality and is punished for it. The NFL literally says in a kind of after-the-fact apology, Colin was right, but we won't give him a job. I'm seldom like at complete loss for words, but I have to admit that was a matter of, of moral circumlocution that should have left the whole country dizzy because no sense. And, and so we see over and over again, literally the athletes setting a moral standard that exceeds that of most politicians. I wanted to get another athlete's thoughts on Naya's support for BLM. So I chatted with her good friend, Carlin. And suddenly everyone is talking about the fastest rugby player on the planet. My name is Carlin Niles. I play rugby for USA. I'm known as the fastest rugby player in the world. 2016 Olympian. Carlin is a longtime friend of Naya's. He's a former NFL athlete, pro sprinter, and as he mentioned, current member of the USA men's rugby team. You know, I think her supporting her team, you know, supporting the Black Lives Movement uh, was, you know, important, you know, especially for the world and the community in general. And, you know, they made a stance against something they believe in, what we all kind of believe in, and comes along with morals and standards. But, you know, for, you know, for her to stand out like that and her teammates, you know, to back her and, you know, them, them all to come together as one was just special. You know, it just shows them what kind of heart, you know, she has and they have in general. And, I mean, it's just a special. Like many others, Naya's received messages that she's too much, too masculine, too black, too outspoken. But she uses strategy to cope with all of this. She focuses inward on her intentions, and it helps her stay positive. If you speak bad things about yourself or bad things about your situation, most of the time that's how that is going to play out for you. But if you speak positive things about yourself and about your situations, most of the time positive things will come out of that. You'll do more positive things to make positive things happen writing sticky notes on your mirror for you to see every day about all the things that you love about yourself. Just little reminders about the things that are great about you. Cause some days you do forget. So you just need little reminders or people to say, Hey, like, don't forget you're great at this or you're, this is beautiful about you. I asked professor Brooks where he finds hope. What gives me a sense of hope is the agency of people. What I mean by that is if you look at the darkest moments of American history, the, it's the ability of people to take their own future in their hands. So I, I think about one iconic image that, that gives me hope right now. John Lewis, former Congressman John Lewis, standing on Black Lives Matter Plaza with stage four cancer in the middle of a pandemic, wearing a mask and holding a cane. So here we have the elder statesman of Congress, conscience of the Congress, a former young activist standing beside 
the protesters of today. What does that image say to us? What does it convey to us? That those of the of a older generation are literally entrusting the future of the country uh, in the hands of a younger generation. And they're essentially affirming their belief in the capacity of all of us now, today, to take the country where it needs to be. And so if somebody who was literally almost beaten to death on the Edmund Pettus Bridge can essentially say, I trust you with my legacy. Now, if that doesn't give you hope, I'm not entirely sure what will. But I, 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 I always say to my students, if our forebears did all they did with what little they had, why can't we do more with what we have been given? And we've been given much. Thanks for tuning in to Flame Bears, the woman athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. If you want to learn more about Naya, check out her new podcast, Leo's Den. Here she is describing it. We started a podcast, myself and Ilona Marr. She's one of my teammates, an amazing lady. And we're starting this podcast under WIS Sports Production. They're a platform that gives women in sports a voice. They're amazing. I'm a brand ambassador for them. Um, and the podcast is called The Leo's Den. Because as I said, me and Lo are both Leo. So we want to... Um, we created the podcast to not only talk about rugby, but to talk about ourselves off the field. What dating's like, body confidence, training, food, tournaments, all the good stuff that you don't really get to hear on interviews. Check it out. We'll definitely be tuning in. For more behind-the-scenes coverage, follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Flame Bears. Be sure to tune in to the next episode, where I speak with Egyptian pentathlete, Katie Morrissey, on trailblazing as a young Egyptian woman in sports. If you missed Maka and Tanya's beach handball episode, go back and tune in. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your listening platform and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you to producer Michelle Poulin for her help on this episode and to Maddie Olinu for her partnership efforts. Massive welcome to the team, Sarah Assad. Lastly, but not least, thank you as always to Dino Catano for his mentorship. I think I got your name right this time. We'll catch you on our next episode.